Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Nerdist Podcast number 543. We've added a second show at San Diego Comic-Con. So Saturday... July 26th at 7.30, as the 10.30 show sold out, we are doing another Nerdist Podcast Live. Um, thank you if you already bought tickets, and please prepare for a thank you in advance when you buy tickets. Ugh, that was a clunky way to get into that. Uh, but uh, it'll be super fun, and guests will be announced soon, and we'll see you there. Comic-Cons, I can't believe it's already right around the corner. That's crazy. We were just there. What's happening, people? Shit's moving by real fast. Real fast. Uh, I would like to thank for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast, R-Tunes. Uh, it's an online music network, and essentially it will mix indie music alongside mainstream music. So you're gonna, it'll not just play you the same level of artist. You'll get, you know, it'll figure out what you like and then kind of mix in new stuff. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic music discovery program. Uh, there's tons of stations for your musical taste. Uh, bigger song variety than Pandora. And you can sign up for free. Go to rtunes with a Z.com, sign up with the promo code NERDIST, and get six months of premium membership. That's unlimited listening hours, skips, no audio ads, and it's free on iOS and Android. So go. Uh, oh, by the way, if you're an artist, you should sign up if you're a musician or a comedian because the royalties they pay are more than any other streaming service. So gain exposure or discover new music while being exposed to new people uh, and stuff that you already like. That's rtunes.com, O-U-R-T-U-N-E-Z.com. I'd like to thank you for sponsoring this episode of Nerds Podcast, which is Alfred Molina, who's the, who's the freaking coolest guy in the world. Oh, man, he's awesome. I mean, you know, Alfred Molina's done a million of everything. Uh, if you listen to this podcast and you know that he's Doc Ock, you also know that he was in Raiders of the Lost Ark and a ton of other things that you would enjoy. And now he's in a show called Matador, which is on Robert Rodriguez's El Rey Network. And uh, Matador is essentially about a guy who is... A, this isn't Molina's character, but it's about a guy who's uh, a soccer star who is actually also a CIA operative. But it sounds super cool, and the show premieres July 15th, and uh, Alfred Molina has the best accent. And you are about to experience it. Smear it on your eardrums like the delicious clotted cream on top of uh, a tasty British biscuit that it is. Uh, the Nerdist Podcast number 543 with Alfred Molina. Now entering Nerdist.com.
something and everything. I know. There's a little there's a little comedy theater downstairs and this and this cool. this comic book shop which we've what taken up resident residence in the back of. Should I wear these? Yeah, if you want. They know you're here, right? <laughs> <laughs> they never asked. <laughs> hmm. We just started showing up. <laughs> All right. And then you got squatting rights and they can't kick you out. We got some squatting rights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were like that nanny. Exactly. That is the craziest thing. It's like the movie Pacific Heights. Remember the Michael Keaton movie? I never saw that one. It was oh, yeah, really yeah, good. Yeah. Melanie Griffith and Matthew Modine and uh, and and um, Michael Keaton. And he basically moves in. They're, they have this apartment building uh, in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And he seems like this total nice guy. And they're a young couple. And so they don't really do a lot of formal stuff with him. Like, oh, he seems fine. you know. And he basically just comes in. And starts using all these loopholes and tortures them. Uh, and then, of course, it turns into this really, like, messed up thriller. But it's a really fun movie. Yeah, and he's really good in it. Like it. Uh, but we're here to talk about you, Alfred Molina. Uh, you know, the, what's interesting is it took years before I realized that you're actually British. It took years for me to realize that. Yeah, well, I think that happens a lot. It's been, uh, it's, it's been a blessing and a, and a curse, in a way. Because I, I, when I first came to live in the States um, about 20 years ago, I... Uh, I had a few films that had, you know, that were known here, um, but they'd all been movies where I was playing different nationalities, you know, different sort of uh, ethnicities. And I think people made the general assumption that because my name was Molina, that I was maybe Latino or Hispanic, that maybe I, I was. And, and also, I did a lot of stuff playing Americans. So the assumption was, I mean, you know, maybe he's American with you know, Mexican dad or something like that. <laughs> And then, and I, I realized after a few years that I was, um, I was going to these interviews and, and I would start talking and people would be looking at me slightly wide eyed. And I thought it was out of, you know, a great deal of respect and adoration, but it wasn't at all. It's complete confusion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know what it was? I think, you know, I think I know what it was that doomed you to that, which was, uh, it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was Raiders. That's right. Well, that was the, that was the first one I ever did. And, and I was, you know, I, I was playing with a kind of sort of Latin American accent. And, and uh, I think, yeah, I think that was the assumption. I was, you know, I was this young kid from, uh, from, you know, somewhere down south. And, and, uh, but that's okay. But, it, but the, the blessing has been that um, I, when I was at drama school, one of my uh, professors actually described me as ethnically ambivalent. <laughs> I think that might be a compliment because well, you can drift was. to a lot of different yeah. roles. I mean, at the time, I, was, I thought, oh, that doesn't sound very positive. But uh, it, it was, but that, that's basically what he was implying that, you know, that there was a, you know, my name, the way I look, you know, the fact that I can speak Spanish and Italian because of my parents. You know, it, it it kind of enables me in, in a, into an area that uh, has turned out to be very, um, very creative. I mean, I, I've got no complaints. You know, I mean, the, the fact that I'll never get cast in a Merchant Ivory film doesn't... <laughs> you, you don't you know, know that! Doesn't really worry me. You don't know that at all! Much. But, you know, I was never British enough for the British, you know, and that was the nice thing about coming to the States, was that here I was just part of a much, much wider sort of ethnic spectrum you know so it's been it's, it's been a it's been a good thing really um uh, what do you mean what, what what is it that what do you think that you mean by brit not british enough for the british well the, the, in britain there tends to be the, the, you know people kind of curious about your name they'll say oh where where, where, do, where exactly are you from alfred you know then and, and you sort of because you sound i sound english you know mm-hmm. i seem english but you know I've, I've got no english in me my you know spanish father italian mother they were both immigrants to to, to britain so you're not quite British enough for the British, you know. And, and, when, and when I was at drama school, for instance, my full name is Alfredo, 
And I, that's the name I graduated under. That's the name I was going to keep as a professional actor. And my first agent in, um, in Britain said, oh, no, 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 darling, you know, you've got to drop the O. You'll be playing Spanish waiters all your life. <laughs> Whereas in America, no one would dare say that to you. I mean, right. you know, no one would dare say to Benicio, you know, like Benicio del Toro, no one would say, you know, I think Ben's better. Yeah. You know, just say, call yourself Ben Bull. Ben the Bull. <laughs> ben the Bull. I yeah. think you'll be better. I think, I think you'll get more parts that way. <laughs> you wouldn't dream of doing it here because, you know, here the, 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 the acceptance of, of your ethnicity is so much more sort of you know wide-ranging and and uh embracing when you uh when you stepped on the set of in of raiders of the lost ark were you like eh, what's this a weird kind of no i was terrified I, I i was very excited as you can imagine but it was you know, my first movie steven spielberg was already a star director harrison ford was already a star actor you know this was a this was an extraordinary um piece of good fortune on my part you know my my daughter was about to be born we had no money i was working in some tacky little theatre downtown in London I was, I was making no money and suddenly this movie comes along because in those days it was very cheap to shoot in Britain, you know a lot, a lot of you know um, British American studios were coming over to London to shoot because you know the studio space was cheap the, 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 the workforce was cheap certainly in comparison to here so uh, all these British actors were getting cast in these movies you know like super, the, you know, the Superman films, the Star Wars movies um, Raiders all these big productions were coming over to Britain and we were kind of getting, you know, we were getting some nice uh, nice little roles. And so this job came up and I was thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And I knew nothing about movies. I knew nothing about, I'd never been in front of a camera. I was I was so green, I was getting notes from the carpenters. They were giving me, you know, <laughs> they, they were kind of telling me, and, the, you know, and I, I didn't know what a, what, a cam, what a camera mark was. I had no understanding about focus or anything. I was I was moving around everywhere thinking I was doing the right thing. But it was a great, great experience. And uh, it's sort of, I mean, I always loved films anyway. I was a big movie fan anyway. Mm -hmm. But I never thought of myself as being a movie actor. I never thought, I thought that happened, you know, to other people. And then suddenly I I found myself working in films and I I just fell in love with it. I'll tell you, uh, a part of... A part of nerd vernacular has become uh, "throw me the idol, I throw you the whip." Like, I that, know. like people, people just say that I now. Know. I know. I get. I, I, every. It's really interesting that now there's because I've been acting for so long. There's a kind of, I can now break down fans and and people who are interested in what I do in very specific age groups. <laughs> you know, there's 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 people my age, maybe ten years younger, who are kind of you know middle aged guys are saying, "Throw me the idol, I'll throw you the whip." Yeah. Uh, Guys in their thirties are now kind of you know saying take quoting lines from Spider Man two right you know and then and uh, or, or, or even younger you know and it's it's uh, it's really interesting that and I, I love it I mean I've got I've never had a problem with that kind of interest or that kind of attention because I think you know I mean it's quite genuinely I, th- I think the 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 fans you know the, the you know the, the the audience that will go and see a movie that they love three four five times. You know, and we'll buy the DVD, and then they'll, they'll buy the reissue, and they'll buy the you know the 25th anniversary edition, all that. Those are the those. That's the audience that keeps us all going. That's the audience that keeps keeps the industry alive in a sense. And and so I've got no, uh, I've got you know you'll, I'll never I never complain about it. And also you know, their interest has enabled me to put two kids through college. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not complaining. Uh, but I also Species was a fantastic movie. I fucking loved that movie. 
That was yeah. such a fun movie. Yeah, it was. Do, it do, was. Do people still? Do people yeah, still? Yes, I mean, some people. Do. I mean, I, that was the first time I went to Comic Con. Was with Species. What and, year was and, that? Was nine, that ninety seven or something? Yeah, something like that. And and Comic Con was nowhere near then. It was. I mean, it was already a big deal. Although I'd never heard of it before that, but it was certainly nowhere near as big as it is now. I mean, in 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 the nineties, the studios would go to Comic Con kind of almost reluctantly. You know, it was like taking a big chunk out of your working day but now yeah it's totally the other way around now i mean it's it's uh one goes there with you i mean i remember going the, the last time i was at comic con was when spider-man 2 was released and, mm-hmm. and we went there to unveil the first image the first new image of doc ock which was the big i you know the big poster with the arms and you know sort of me looking over my shoulder and it was it was terribly exciting and and you know the, the the producers announced this. They said we're now going to show you the. This is the very first public showing of this new. The, 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 you know the the image, and they unfurled it, and it was like the place went spare. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, I was <laughs> I was thrilled. I couldn't believe it. It was wonderful. I mean, and that and that sort of that's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. That 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 enthusiasm. That that love of the genre. That love of the material. Which is very genuine, I found, you know, and and uh, it's it's fantastic. So when you're looking at all the different pieces, because how many movies have you done at this point? I don't know. Can you even know? I don't know, seventy, maybe seventy, right? So when you sort of, I'm always interested to find out like how people define what uh, success is, and and I loved hearing you say like I have to put two two daughters, two kids through college. You know, is it? Do you think that it's a certain level of is it financial freedom, or is it like I get to do all these different things, or is it I'm I'm still working, or I don't I only get to do stuff that I like, or what? How do you define it? Well, I I, th- I think it's a bit of all of those things. I I, I mean I can, I can only speak for myself. I mean I, I you know every every per, every actor I guess would be, give you a different answer, but for me it's it was always to keep working, you know, to stay employed and to stay engaged as much as possible. And it doesn't always happen. I mean, you know, we've all done our fair share of stuff that we'd rather not be doing, but you know what? You've got to pay the bills. The internet keeps it alive. <laughs> you can't run. No, you, you do something, you go, no one will ever see this. The internet's like, I've got a different plan. And then there it is. Oh, man, why is that on Netflix? Ah, shit, that's on YouTube. <laughs> that's right. Who would record that? I know. I mean, you do stuff, you kind of go, on. Oh, yeah, no one's going to see this. And then next thing you know, someone's Someone's stopping you at some red carpet function with a photograph with a still from that thing and, and right. you know and a silver sharpie. <laughs> Can you sign that for me? <laughs> you know, but it's uh, you know it, it's I'm, I'm I mean I, I'm lucky that I think I don't think I've done anything that I'm really ashamed of in terms of work. I haven't done anything that I would think I, I would really hate anyone to see this. Um, there's been highs and lows, certainly, but I think staying employed and staying active and staying engaged, and now you know, now that I'm getting older, you know, getting to work with younger directors and younger actors—that's really important to me now. How long did it take before you felt totally comfortable, like walking onto a set where you go, yeah, no matter what they throw at me, I think I'm gonna be okay? I still haven't got there yet, to be perfectly honest with you. I think there's always—I mean, I feel—I certainly feel more confident now than I did when I was, you know, in my twenties. But there's always a little. There's always a small percentage of you that's kind of thinking maybe this is where they find me out. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's yeah. it's people are always comforted to hear the people in your position still think that because everyone always thinks, oh, when you get to a certain level, you're probably just like. But I, I I think if you ever feel like you do have it figured out, you should do something else. Absolutely, I I I've I you know I teach a little bit now, and I always tell my students, don't if ever you have the instinct that you've nailed it 
If ever you come to the point where you've come off stage or you come Swish. out of a take and you kind of go, nailed it, yeah. you're lying to yourself because <laughs> you never nail it. That's the whole. That's why we keep doing it. And how do you even define nailing it? I feel like you, I feel like the idea of n- nailing it can mean a lot of different things. It can either mean I either did what I wanted to do, or that was really good, or the audience liked it. Like it doesn't. I don't even know like what pers- nailing it is really a, sort of a subjective point. Totally, of view. yeah. It's completely subjective and, and completely unscientific. It's it's all about whatever your emotional state might be at that moment. But it's 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 a very untra- it's like nostalgia. Nostalgia is a very bad barometer of history, <laughs> you know. And the same way that that feeling of having nailed it is is a very bad way of judging how how the event has gone. You know, it's 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 very untrustworthy. I guess that's true because how many times have you thought, oh, I I loved this one movie or this one show when I was a kid. It was the best show ever, and you watch, you're like, what the fuck was wrong? Yeah, with exactly. Me? Yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's and it, and what's really weird is how. <laughs> Acting styles, how how quickly they go out of fashion. Oh my god! Of course. I mean, you can watch you can watch something from fifteen twenty years ago, and you kind of think, and you you as you say, you remember it as something really brilliant and vibrant in your memory, something that maybe moved you at the time, or maybe it might have even influenced you to do something and change. You know, I'm not. I, I remember seeing performances when I was in my teens, which are the performances that made me think, yes, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. This is what I, that's what I want to be. I want to be doing that and now i look at i look at some of that stuff and i think what the fuck was i thinking <laughs> you know and but that's not their fault that's not the fault of the material that's you know we all we all of us work in the context of our time yes I mean, you know in 30 years time people are going to be watching movies that i'm in they're going to be we're, and they're going to be having conversations like this about it well of course because in 30 years time movies will be about four minutes long and <laughs> uh, the, the inciting incident will happen in 10 yeah. seconds and then the climax will be at about minute three That's right, yeah. and then it'll the denouement like it'll just like wind down by That's minute right. four and, and then, there won't be any actors in it no actors all cg <laughs> and then beam directly into your brain uh you, you will just you will just you will have the vague sense that you had a four-minute experience and you're kind of meh about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically just whatever was ever going to happen. I, I always wonder, like, when the transition happened, like, who, and I'm, I know this is trackable online and someone will share this with me, but at what point in film did they stop becoming glorified theater pieces and people stop talking like this? Yeah. You know? <laughs> no one in real life talk like that. No one in real life talk like that. So how... You know, like that sort of separation between this is a theatrical presentation yeah, versus like, yeah. but that's not like real life. Yeah. Uh, like when when did people stop going? I'm going to pop yeah. down to the shop now. Yeah. Well, I think it was probably a gradual process, but I think there were there were certain sort of historical markers that that where you can pinpoint where there was some kind of sea change. I mean, I think in the in the in the fifties, the whole advent of the actor studio in New York that changed a lot when when directors and actors were started to look for a more psychological approach to the work you know um and before that a genera- a couple of generations before that when people like Stanislavski and Sigmund Freud were you know in, in you know they were kind of almost contemporaries you know Sigmund Freud was studying the underlying reasons for human behavior and Stanislavski was doing a similar work but it was all to do with finding the underlying behavior of the of the characters that his actors were 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 working on and trying to find some more real, you know, more realistic approach. And I think that they were, but it, but it is a very gradual approach because you can see you can see movies like, I mean, let's for example, you look at something like uh, you know uh, James Dean's three films, or the movies that Brando was doing at the time, Montgomery Clift, 
um, those actors who were, who were in the late 50s, early 60s, were finding a really very, very real, very authentic approach to the work, very un, not theatrical in any way, very kind of simple, very focused. But there were, movie, there were movies being made at the same time where that big theatrical style was still going on. You know, that those films didn't necessarily appeal to, you know, uh, 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 Brando's movie, uh, On the Waterfront, was not a mainstream hit. It was a bit of a cult movie. It took a while before that movie became recognised. I mean, it was, a, it was a huge critical success. But, you know, Mr. and Mrs. America, you know, in the middle of the country, <laughs> didn't go and see it. You know, because it was too uncomfortable. You know, uh, Jimmy Dean's films weren't huge box office. They became that later you know he died young he became an icon and so on but it takes time you know these things evolve over time you know and it's it's uh it's it's the film enthusiasts the the guys and the, the men and women who love movies purely for for their own sake who don't have a vested interest necessarily in the business of it or the the creative side of it they just love they love movies and it's that audience that, in a sense, becomes the arbiter of, of what's going to remain relevant and, 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 uh, and worthwhile. Yeah. And so what, what did your parents do, by the way? My father was a waiter, and my mother cleaned rooms in a hotel. And did you go when you did you did you uh, were you in drama in in grade school or yeah yeah I, I, yeah primary I, school? yeah where I was in primary school yeah that's right uh, when I went to uh, what we used to call secondary school uh, which was you know like high school yeah I was very lucky that I had a teacher an English master Martin Corbett who stay I I remained friends with until until he passed away um, he my first day at school was his first day there as a teacher and he was the deputy head of the English department and he started a drama club the school had never had a drama club he started a drama club and uh it, his brief was to put on two school productions a year and he had been an actor he'd had some experience in professional theater so he brought all that with him and for all the geeks like me you know i was no good i wasn't an academic high flyer i wasn't good at sport i wasn't popular with the girls in the school in the girls school next door the drama club was like this little creative cave where me and all the other geeks went and and what's and why it was so fantastic was because there we could be whoever we wanted to be and he taught us all about improvisation we used to do little scenes from plays we would do acting exercises vocal it was fantastic it changed my life totally changed my life and um that was really when you know that was really when the uh my mother used to say that I was nine years old when I said I wanted to be an actor. I'd just seen Spartacus, and I think I came home and said something like, "I'm going to be, I'm going to be Kirk Douglas." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't think at the age of nine, mother, I, I'm know. going to be Kirk Douglas. <laughs> what are you talking like that? Like yeah, Jim? I am Spartacus. No, you're not. <laughs> but I don't think at that age I had any real idea of you know what what was involved or what was you know what it entailed, but. When I went to school and, and you know, I, I met Martin and, and he, you know, it became, I, I, there was a, I can pinpoint it down to one moment. I, I said to him, I confided in him and said, you know, sir, I want, I want to be an actor. And he said, okay, I'll help you. I'll give you books to read. I'll give you a, a reading list. I'll tell you what films you should see. I, you know, he gave me this whole list of things to do. And then he said, but if you drop the ball once, I'm washing my hands of you. 
which at the time scared the bejesus out of me. Of but, course. But it was like the best thing he could have done. Best thing he could have done because he was he wanted he was testing me. He wanted to make sure that I was serious. Sure. And if I was serious, then he was going to be serious, and he was. He 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 was fantastic, and I was lucky that I had I had him as my English master and mentor for till I was eighteen, till I went to drama school. And how, as you're doing these exercises, I mean, I imagine because I always think performers are forced to get to know themselves more than other professions because you spend a lot of time asking why, what do I think about this and how would I react this way and what does this mean to me especially as you're, de- as you're trying to delve into other characters you're basically just digging around your own experiences and finding analogous ones yeah right? yeah I think there's I think yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about that you, you, that could well be true I mean I think there's there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of analysis that goes on but sometimes it can be dangerous because self analysis can be a bit misleading and it can be a bit self-serving if you're not careful. I mean, that's why that's why we have analysts. You know, we don't we don't you know that's why we don't have you know sort of you know self-analysis classes. You know, people, right. you, you need an, an objective eye, and it's very hard. It's the most impossible thing in the world to be objective about yourself. But I think certainly in terms of the way actors will study a character or will analyze a character's motivations, certainly, I think actors may have a a way in to understand not necessarily their own behavior but certainly have a more perhaps a more clear or perhaps a deeper understanding of human behavior maybe yeah and do you think there's anything else with the acting tools that you have that you think well if i don't want to be an actor anymore i could i could use these tools and go do this no <laughs> no it's a it's a totally singular <laughs> set of skills there's you can't you know you can't <laughs> you can't apply it's not like you know it's not like learning about kind of you know engine mechanics right you know it, it's it's a very singular skill set and and uh which is part of its charm but it's also part of its uh it's what makes it kind of limiting in a way because i you know I, I don't know if i should admit this but I actually can't do anything else. <laughs> well, you don't have to. Well, yeah. Well, thank goodness I can act because I can't. I, 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 can't, I can't do anything else. I mean, I, I, and I've thought about it. I thought, what would happen if if I couldn't act anymore? I don't know what I'd do. I really don't. I come here and work for you. Would you what? You would? <laughs> well, you can still just do that. I, I noticed they they need extra, they need an extra hat, pair of hands on one of the counters. I'll tell you what we need right now is the fucking air conditioning went down and it's the middle of summer and it, this room is usually not like this. So I apologize. I'm all right. There's, there's a little bit coming out. It's not that. It's, it's not, not. It's that not. Much. It's not like uh, this is probably exactly what it was like to shoot Indiana J- Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, that was a lot worse. No. Okay. Good. Good. I'm I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um. Are there uh, are there types of films that you that you seek, or is it a let's read some stuff and see what pops, or do you go? I want to do this kind of thing to stretch in this way. No, I, I, I I'm I'm very I'm very dull really in, in that way. I I I kind of like I'll read whatever comes in. I'll read whatever comes along, and 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 also I've never really been in a position where I could have such an array of choices that I could like just sit back and say, well, I think I'll do this one now. You know, I mean, I, I, I've kept in work, thank goodness, but it, it's never been—I've never been inundated with with scripts. You know, it's, that's that doesn't really happen. But I mean, I—I've been lucky that there's, you know, because you know, thanks to my ethnic ambivalence, <laughs> I've—is uh, that the name of your album? Yeah, it's uh, ethnically ambivalent. A life in film by Alfred Molina sings the hits. <laughs> if you're blue and you don't know, I'll <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think there's been there's been a reasonable array of choices, but it's it's um it's whatever I like, you know. It, it's uh, I got asked recently by a journalist, you know, did I have any 
I just, he put it in a very odd way. He said, did I have any regrets that I'd spent so many years acting, playing the bad guy? And I gave him this. You know, I said, no. I said, you know, and I, I told him, that's when I first said, you know, no, playing the bad guy has given me a very nice lifestyle and I've put two kids through college. So actually, playing the bad guy has been a wonderful thing. You know... That's a loaded bullshit reporter question. Like, yeah, yeah I, know totally. you've, I know you've achieved some stuff, but let me see if I can poke a hole in that and make you feel bad about something. Yeah. Like, well, it also, it also, I think it also betrays um, uh, someone with a with who's with a who has a distinct lack of research who you know just hasn't done of course the work. But anyway, the thing is, it's but it's a very you know it's very easy to think that you know you've done very similar rock, but that's that's every actor goes through that. I mean, that's not. Uh, People like what you do, if they do. If they like what you do, then they'll like you to do it again. I don't think you know? I don't think Doc Ock was a bad guy in the way that you portrayed him. Mm, interesting. He yeah. was a he was a good man. Yeah. Who, uh, I mean, the, the inhibitor chip. Yeah, that's it. That's he the, lost I, his wife. <laughs> Come on, what's he gonna do? Of course, he's gonna fucking ravage that town. You know what? You're absolutely right. He was a saint. He was. A- <laughs> Well, he was uh, he was acting under the direction of he some was, sentient arms. He had a lot of stress. He had a lot of he stress. Was to very, carry. very stressed. And uh, you know, quite honestly, Peter Parker was kind of a passive aggressive dickhead. So <laughs> it, it was not your fault. No, not my fault. I washed my hands of all blame. Yes, but that's what I loved about the Marvel comics when I was growing up, which is why I preferred Marvel to DC, was because. The DC characters all seem to me, and this is you know this is like a thirteen, fourteen year old's head. They all seem to me to have a kind of like a moral point of view. They all seem to be a little bit too goody goody. Whereas the Marvel characters, there was something really ambivalent about them. You know, they were all even the heroes were kind of like reluctantly heroes. They were flawed. They were flawed, and 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 they they became heroes almost by accident. You know, the villains kind of had all kinds of issues. I mean, there was something... I mean, not that I was, you know, that sophisticated that I could see all the nuances, but there was something about them, plus the way that it was drawn. I mean, there was something really very, very different and edgy about about uh, the Marvel comics, you know, when I was growing up. I loved them. Yeah. What, what, what characters did you... Well, I was a big fan of uh, Green Lantern. Yeah. Uh, I love Spider-Man. Um was Thor Marvel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Marvel. Yeah, I loved him. Yeah, and and they, and it was uh, and we used to I used to you know save up my pocket money and you know go and get go and get the new comics. I used to love it. I loved it. Well, it, and comic book movies have uh, very obviously stated it really evolved since the. If you dig around on YouTube, you can find like you can find that 1970s Spider-Man movie. Where they, where it's basically they've just tilted the camera on the side, and it's a like a, tune in, true believers, you know, <laughs> and then it's like the shitty webbing, and yeah. the, you know, it's it, 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 we really needed the technology to catch up, yeah, so that yeah. the superhero movies could not yeah. be like, look at that, that's look at that crappy kid stuff over there. <laughs> I mean, they've really, they've really evolved, and really in just such a short, you know, in the last like. 15, 16 years, yeah. really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, revo- the, the revolution was was digital, and 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 the, the 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 facility that that afforded in terms of how you not so much the stories themselves, but how you tell the stories. The, what what was available in terms of how you can visually. I mean, and it's it's interesting that as as digital technology became more and more sophisticated. This is just my opinion. Sure. The, the the scripts became less and less sophisticated. 
because there was less need for people to explain themselves. Right. Because you could see it all happening. Yeah. And you could see it happening in such a convincing and exciting and engaging way. You know, the, 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 uh, when, when you've got an actor climbing up what is clearly a plastic wall in a studio, you've got to give them a line like, this is hard. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get there, but I got to, you know, because you've got to sell, the, you've got to sell it. But when, you, when it's clearly the hardest thing he's ever had to do, you don't have to have him explain it. Yeah. You know, so there's a kind of, and so the, 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 the storytelling became very different, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's very exciting. But, but the, the speed at which it's all happened is kind of scary. I mean, you, you, I mean, you can look at, I mean, when we did Raiders of the Lost Ark, that, believe it or not, that, as far as the technology that was available, that was cutting-edge technology. Of course. In that movie. But Harrison was actually lowered into a pit of snakes. And those snakes were real. They kept like 3,000 snakes in two dressing rooms at, at, at Elstree Studios. They must have had a good agent. <laughs> they, st- they stunk the place out. <laughs> and a few escaped. They reckon there are still snakes in the, uh, in the, in the woodwork, in the, in the, you in the panel. In the see, you can kind of see in the one shot where he's looking at all the snakes, you can see a little bit of a reflection of yeah, a, plane, you see a, a pane yeah, of glass. You see a tiny shadow on the pane. That's right. But that was that was real technology, and that was that's what they had. That's the only way they had to shoot it. Whereas now, you shoot that, you reshoot that scene, you'll have him lowered on a big, big green screen. Yeah, that's all that'll happen. Yeah, you know, and then everything else will be filled in, and they'll have so much more because you had they had to you know Stephen had to rely on the snakes doing what they do. Right. He had no choice. Now he could. Have, he could give them all names and characters and addresses. I mean, you could just imagine. In, in fact, I think there's a good there's a good uh, there's a good argument for remaking some of those iconic movies from that period. You know, that pre digital period. Yeah. And doing them again and doing them again with all the technology that's available would be amazing. Well, I I, I think um, they reissued a bunch of Star Trek original series episodes uh, a few years ago, a handful of years back, where they did this really they just did a light dusting of some of the effects with some CG so in like wide shots of the Enterprise they redid the exterior shots and then when you're on the when you're on the bridge there's just some shit in the background that they just it wasn't super in the foreground and they just enhanced did it make a difference? it made such a huge difference like it it it, to me, I mean, I don't know if maybe like really, really loyalists of the original show are like, don't ever touch the. But I, but I do, but I, but I think it just it contemporized the show in such a way that you didn't quite notice it until you're like, oh wait. But it just worked so well. So yeah, there, these are these like you know these slightly enhanced as opposed to you know, uh, Mr. Spock is now CG. It was just little pieces, little pieces here and there. Yeah. yeah. But there are some things. I keep saying, stop remaking the good movies. Like, go back and remake, like, Police Academy 4. Like, make a movie that really didn't hit it the first time. Like, those are the ones you remake. You don't go back and remake remake the hits, because they already were done. Yeah, that's true. Once that's before. True, I guess. Yeah. But I, I just think it might be, you know, when you think about some of those wonderful films, if they, if they were being made now, you'd th- it's just fascinating to wonder how, just how... How, how different they would be, or maybe not. Maybe I they loved, be. I, I absolutely, you know, when Ghostbusters came out, that movie changed my life. And in Back to the Future, too. And these were movies that, you know, like really strong comedy films that had a really awesome uh, special effects mm-hmm. team at the same time. And I mean, I would watch all the specials, like, how did they make the Slimer? And how did they make the DeLorean do this? And, it, you know, like, they were forced to be creative. And I feel like 
now people, you know, you're just not when you have the resources when yeah. you have all the resources yeah. at your fingertips you're just not you maybe yeah. some of the creative I always but. yeah I, I always think the most creative part is is to make the science plausible you know you can't you, you, you've got writers inventing some you know the name of some magic mineral that is going to sort of you know create sort of the ultimate weapon and, and you know you've got to create some kind of plausible science for it mm-hmm. I mean Spider-Man Two is a perfect example. You know, they're sort of you know they're trying to harnessing all that power into into that little ball of tritium or whatever it was called, and and and, and just kind of you know that's that's got to it's got to it's got to work on some kind of level. Yeah. For it for for an audience to buy it, you can't just say this is incredible stuff and it's going to you know destroy the world. So there's a lot of there's a lot of thought that goes into that, which may or may not have been there. In a, in a previous generation. You know what's funny about uh, Spider-Man 2 is that everyone was so fascinated by this, this like, fusion ball that you were creating, but no one was like, did that guy just fuse some robot arms to his fucking spine? Like, <laughs> no, that just sailed past everyone. Like, if you would just came, yeah. come out and said, look at these arms, everyone would be like, holy shit, how much money do you want? Yeah. You know, yeah. but it was like, that was such a secondary thing. That it literally fused to your spine, and you were controlling these arms, and no, yeah. but everyone's like, "Look at that ball of, look at that tiny." Sun. But you know what sold it? What's up with for me anyway? What sold it is is that Sam Sam Raimi gave gave it such a brilliant shot when, you know, you saw you saw the spine like you know kind of roll up my spine as it were and attach yeah. itself, and I'm explaining exactly what's going on, and then you see, the, the hypodermics going in yep. and you see like three inches of something and then you just see it disappearing into presumably into my spine that shot just that single shot sold it that's that's when when i watched it with an audience that's when everyone kind of went ah oh. <laughs> you know and such a simple shot i mean i wasn't even there for that shot they just did it on you know they did they did it on the on the on the special effects guys back oh that's cool i wasn't even there and and it was it was an you know just a quick insert. They needed something to just make it pop, you know, and it and that it was just that zoom going in and, and and you sold it. You just perfectly. It was, it was, was that John Dexter's back? No, I think it was like one of his assistants. I think. Okay. Yeah, and and uh, it was just fantastic. But the 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 but the the care and I mean that just the just the care. I mean that's what that's what blew me away about that movie. I mean apart from it being you know the role of a lifetime. I mean it it, it just the. The devotion to this form that this whole army of people gave, you know, is fantastic. And, and I was very, very proud to be part of that. What, uh, what have you learned? Like, what do you pick up? For, I mean, obviously, they're all different things. But when you work, when you're working with Spielberg or Sam Raimi or anyone or a new director, you know, how do you kind of find your rhythm with that person? And then what what types of things have you learned from some of these people? Well, I think it's all it's it's. You know, you're right. Uh, different actors, uh, different directors. You know, have a different way of working. They have a different approach, a different sensibility. But what they all share, what the good ones all share, is a genuine enthusiasm. You know, it's 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 that, and that's and I think that's what you latch onto. You latch onto their enthusiasm because that that's what fires yours. You know, they they, it's their energy and their their kind of love of what they're doing. And I think the best experiences are always when there's a huge element of enthusiasm involved and and uh you know it doesn't have to be i mean and that can carry you through all kinds of you know problems and issues and obstacles it's when directors are there just because you know they had, there was nothing else to do or you know that you know you can spot it a mile off you can smell it a mile off 
when the director's not 100% behind what he or she is doing, and it's very disheartening. And what do you do when you're in that situation? You kind of save yourself. You know, you sort of, uh, you get in, uh, I, well, I do, you, know, you, you get into, I get into a kind of like survival mode. Just try and, you know, do the best you can and, you know, but it's uh, very rare. It's happened very rarely. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate, you know, certainly on the big movies that I've done, it's always been, you know, the because there's so much work involved. There's so much, you know, an actor gets involved in a film for, say, let's say a big movie. I mean, I, I, from soup to nuts, I was involved on Spider-Man 2 for about eight months. From the first costume fitting to the day they said, Fred, thanks very much, see you at the premiere. About eight months. But before that eight months, there was like three years of people working on the project, yeah. developing, you know, writing, getting the scripts, designing, uh, you know, uh, art production, you know, everything. All, there's, a, there's a whole world that goes on. So by the time you turn up uh, as the actor, there's, there's, a, there's a whole army of people that have been devoting themselves to this for a long, long time. And you have to, you know, you have to respect that. And, 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 and so, and it's very exciting then because by then, you know, like my first day at work on the film, they had an idea about giving me giving. Uh, <laughs> it was it was it was not a good idea, but it was it was very exciting to try it. You know, house painters mm-hmm. when they're painting a ceiling, they have these kind of stilts yeah. that they strap onto their feet, and they've got a very wide base, so you can walk on these stilts very easily. You don't need to be like a circus performer or anything. You know, you just walk on these stilts. They're like it's like tying big fat stools yeah. to your feet. Well, we had this idea of giving. Doc Ock, some kind of height, when he sort of emerges after the the thing is after the after he's lost the inhibitor chip and he's in there kind of going, I'll build it again, bigger, better, you know all that stuff. We had this idea that I'd be on these stilts and I would just stand up to my full height and you know. And then we tried it, of course, and then when I tried to walk on it, there was no way of getting around this sound that kind of went, chung, chung, chung. <laughs> you know, it just we, could, we couldn't kill that sound, so it just made the whole thing sound really awful. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like a whole day we spent on that, trying to solve that. It was really brilliant, you know, and, and I, you know, I, was, I was at Sony Studios in, the, in, in the, the special effects office, just kind of walking around on these things, kind of going, what do you think, fellas? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's working. <laughs> <laughs> How do you uh, how, how do you view the American accent? Because again, your American accent is flawless, and, and the different regional accents that I've seen you do are also amazing. So, how, how do you? I mean, I feel like I understand how to sw- how to flip into a British accent, but I don't know if I quite understand what our hooks are with the American. Well, accent. I, well, I think I think for British actors, we have an advantage, which is that certainly my generation, when I was growing up in the late fifties and sixties, a good more than fifty percent of our TV was American. You know, we saw all the American hit shows, all the Western series. We saw all the cop shows, you know, all the all the primetime soaps, you know, Paint and Place and all that stuff. We, you know, we, we, we were, in a, in a way, kind of imbued with Americana, you know, the cars, the music, the accents, um, at, at a level where perhaps American, young American kids probably aren't when it comes to the British accent. I mean, I remember we used to play, we used to play in the street. We used to play cops and robbers and you know cowboys and Indians, and we'd do it with American accents. We'd be playing and say, "Okay, I'll, I'll be the, I'll be the policeman, you be the guy," and, and we'd say, "Okay, yeah," and you, or, or I'll be I'll be you know I'll be lo- the Lone Ranger, you'll be Tonto, and, and and we'd do it with American accents, you know. 
And you'd, I'd, you'd, you'd be kind of going, and, and stealing dialogue that you remembered from the TV shows. So we'd be going, head them off at the pass. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're coming over the hill. You got me, copper. <laughs> you know, all that, and, it, and it was all that stuff we, and it was just in our heads. You know, it was, it was, it was all around. So I think we kind of grew up with, because a lot, I mean, I think most British actors I know do very good American accents. I remember, I remember, I don't know how old I was, but I was, <clears throat> I was like one of my earliest memories was just doing a weird British accent to my parents. I'll be the judge of how weird it is. No, Let's hear no, no, it. no, 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 no. I'm not going to do it now. I'm not going to do it now. Uh, but I, but I, I could have been more than like four years old, and I don't remember where I got it from. And I think they were like, where did you hear that? And I'm sure it was just like, I mean, you know, when I... When I was, well, older than four, but when I grew up, you know, like a lot of the things I loved were like, you know, Monty Python or Doctor Who or uh, The Young Ones or any of these, you know, like I loved British import stuff. So I, I but at that age, I, I don't know, maybe it was a, a movie or something. And my parents, you know, like I watched weird things, but I do remember thinking that it was a cool, a cool accent. And then um, in sixth grade, I got to play Oliver Twist in very nice the school play. You see, you're more English than me. I don't know if that's true. My mother <laughs> is Italian, though. Oh, my mother's Italian. Yes, and you speak the Italian. See, si. uh, io parlo un po' di italiano. Anch'io. Yeah, si. Che bene. Si, si, si. Grazie, grazie. <laughs> uh, questa ragazza mm. è uh, 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 come si dice uh, laughing. A un sorriso. So, sorriso? A un sorriso. A un sorriso. She has a laugh. She has she a lovely has laugh. She has a laugh. All right. Or uh, she's eating sorriso, which is uh, soy. <laughs> a very well-known Italian delicacy. <laughs> I brought some with me, just in case. No. Well, you can find I know it. you're a fan. <laughs> this room has turned into a smokehouse. <laughs> so if you've brought any meats with you... <laughs> now's the now's time. Now's the time to bring them out. I think we might be those meats at this yes. point. I'm drying fish downstairs. I don't I'm, know what you're doing. I, wait. Is that a euphemism? No. no. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, you mean literally downstairs. <laughs> By the way, don't in a romantic moment say that to your significant other. I'm no, no. trying some fish downstairs. <laughs> Unless you're a fishmonger. If you're a fishmonger, <laughs> then someone will fuck Listen, the crap out of you. A fishmonger's wife might find that very she romantic. Might oh, look you know, who's coming on to let's, me. Uh, let's have less of the judgment value. <laughs> <laughs> let's see how dry those downstairs fish really are, then, should we? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes where, my where, brain, where, where is this interview going sometimes now? my brain goes to <laughs> I, I feel like at a, I feel like at, I, I got to 15 <laughs> and then that was it my brain was like well this is the height of maturity yeah. that we should attain I think that's very healthy for the rest I think, of our I think, life I think that's very healthy <laughs> maybe I don't know do you, uh, uh, are, were you were you a big comedy guy growing up I've, I've always loved comedy but I never kind of got I never got cast in comedies I was never I was never perceived as a comic actor, although I have done some. Um, but it's you know when, when you're when you're large like I am and you're sort of, you know sort of dark hair and bushy eyebrows and and, and sort of you know I've, I can have a you know when I when I frown I can look quite stern you know but you walk into a you walk into a casting office and they kind of the, the first you know the first thing people think of when they see my face isn't ah. <laughs> ah, a nice wacky farce for this guy, you know. <laughs> they don't think that, but um, you know. But I, yeah, but I love it. I mean, I've always loved comedy. I love, I love seeing. I love comedians. I love, you know, comedy. I love comedy in movies, and particularly when it's, when it's, as you know, as you were saying earlier, when you know, like movies like, uh, you know, Back to the Future and right. Ghostbusters, you know, where, where the comedy is fused with something else, like a suspense or a sci-fi story. I think that's wonderful when it comes out of something else you know i'm not i'm not a big fan of like flat out slapstick comedy you know i mean it's it's uh that's never 
intrigued me because it's always I always feel like it's the same joke. It's just the same joke over and over again, you know. Yeah. I mean, I was I was never a big fan of, like the American Pie movies, although I think all the ta- all the actors in it were very talented. But you know, how many times can you make a joke about somebody wanting to fuck a pie? Right. Well, it turns out a lot. Yeah, it turns made a lot out. Of those. <laughs> I know. They made a lot of those. A lot of. So I think there should have been a disclaimer in this one in, in the credits. Uh, many pies were horribly fucked during the filming of this movie. No disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> there was no, a no, pie wrangler. Yeah, no pies were harmed in the making of this motion picture, except for all the ones that got fucked. Yes, <laughs> but they enjoyed it. <laughs> I was trying to try in defense of the pie. They liked it. You know the pies. Come on, they came on to me. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> this pie came on to me. I could, I'm just a man. I can't help it. I mean, come on. I have needs. I'm a human being. <laughs> this pie was begging me to pop its cherry pie. God damn it. Here all week, ladies and gentlemen. There's Izzy. <laughs> Try the dried fish downstairs. Here at Fishmongers Comedy Club. Fishmongers need to laugh, too. Alfred Molina. Fishmongers have a shitty life, and yeah. they need to laugh, too. And who are we to deny them? They smell like who fish all the time. <laughs> they never they never get out of that. I was talking to a friend of mine once. This is spinning in a weird sort of philosophical way, but... Um, Nice just, segue, Chris. Thank you very much. <laughs> just about just about self awareness, and sometimes you can get into conversations with people where you go, "Are they crazy? Or am I crazy? Or how do I know?" Like who? And uh, and a friend of mine said, um, "A fish doesn't know what's in water," and that that saying always sort of freaked me out because it kind of makes me think, "How do I know that I'm not the fish who doesn't know <laughs> that it's in water?" Do you feel like you have a, a fairly good? Because you seem like a, just a pretty normal cool guy that, and not, not not I don't mean this as an insult you don't seem actory in any way like you seem like a nice guy who just happens to be an actor and so do you have that sort of self-awareness or how did you develop that well I, I, I don't know I, I've no idea how to answer that really because I, I, I I've just no I don't know why are you such a good guy that's a hard question to answer no. but what is it what is it what is it that makes you sort of feel like that's work and it's fun. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, it, well, no, they're, they're, that's that's easy. They're, they're, there's always, I've always, I've always believed that there's a huge separation between work and the rest of your life. I do believe that, and I think that's very healthy, and it's something that I've always, uh, you know, believed in, and, and and it's something I I encouraged other people, you know, especially young actors who kind of, you know, young actors. It's very hard. It's very, or rather, it's very easy to get completely caught up in the work and agonize over it and 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 maybe even sacrifice other parts of your life in order to service and to serve the work which is very noble on one level and i certainly did it when i was a young actor but i learned very quickly that you it's a it's a that's a one-way street that you know you 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 don't get you don't get any love back if you're a servant or a slave to it mm-hmm but if you can find a way of balancing the work with you know the rest of your life is the rest of your life your work is your work and the work hopefully will facilitate the life you know when 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 the work becomes everything i think that's when especially this kind of work where you know a great deal of it is all about perception and rejection yeah that can't be i don't i don't see as that being very healthy but i but i think there's also an element of learning to find a way to not take yourself too seriously i mean i love what i do don't get me wrong i love acting i love what i do i love the people i work with i love the milieu i love the the environment i'm proud to be a member of the most wonderful tribe i've could ever belong to but 
We're not brain surgeons, you know? <laughs> well, that sounds like a healthy upbringing, though, because, you know, what, what happens in this business is, you know, like, you, you or I, I think anyway, what, ha- what happens in this business is that, uh, you know, you, you, some people, uh, maybe I'm one of those people, I've been one of those people, it's, you attach your self-esteem to external things. Uh, oh, if I do this, then mm. that means I am good enough, or if I achieve yeah. this, I am good enough, or if I get this, or if I do this... And and really, I think you know what it boils down to is how do you just sit alone and be happy with yourself? How do you just go? This other stuff's great, doesn't yeah. define me. But yeah, well, the thing is, you would. But but the thing is, you would have trouble doing that whether you were an actor or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the, that's a hard human dilemma to find a place where you can be happy with yourself. I wonder why that is. I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's it's maybe it's to do with the complexity of the way we live. Maybe 100 years ago maybe it was easier. I don't know. I, but I think that's that's whether you're an actor struggling with that is I think almost neither here nor there. I mean, it, it it's that's a you know, I know lots of people who aren't actors who are having, you know, who, who are struggling to find some kind of equilibrium with what they do and and who they want to be. Right. But I think it's uh, I mean, the the, the the great, I mean, I had this joke at work. I mean, I, I, you know, I always, you know, I'm, pe- I'm sure people are sick of me hearing, hearing, sick of hearing me say it. But I, you know, I always, I always start the day by saying, "This beats hot, hot mopping." <laughs> however bad it is, however bad the day is, it beats hot mopping. You don't have to stand out in the summer heat with yeah. a bunch of tar. And you know, it's, uh, and that's the truth. You know, that's the truth, and 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 that's. That's a privilege, you know. I don't mean to sound like some kind of saintly, you know, altruistic sort of do-gooder. I don't, that's not at all. I'm, I'm as I'm as egotistical and as vain and as you know self-aggrandizing as anybody else. <laughs> but there is the truth is it's a it's great. This is a great way to live your life, you know. I mean, I'd rather be an out-of-work actor than an employed anything else, you know. I I like and that's it. Find just finding what you love. That's really the key, whatever that might be. By the way, the follow-up album to Eth- Ethnically Ambiguous is This Sure Beats Hot Mopping. Yeah, that's, that's it. The second. Yeah. It's you yeah. with a hot mop and then a yeah. thumbs up. The Hot Mop Tour. The Hot Mop Tour. I want to see that T-shirt with a whole list of dates on the back. Alfred Molina's Hot Mop Tour. That Someone someone listening will make yeah. that. They'll... And it's a list. The list on the back of the T-shirt is all the various public conveniences around the country <laughs> that the tour is going to go to. <laughs> the L train. And the, <laughs> it's all these different... <laughs> State Capitol in Austin, Texas. Yeah. You know, every place that you had to go to like hot mop a thing. You're on the road. As Jackson oh, look, he's doing, he's doing three nights at Port Authority. <laughs> standing room only. <laughs> we have to stand because i got to hop mop this area so that I can't have any chairs down. Jesus Christ, people, come on. This is what this is. Do you, do you find that acting is, is kind of... Uh, has any sort of relation to like a... Uh, kind of just like a regular do it with your hands kind of job do you see any parallels between the two or do you do you find them to be i don't know i i think uh i think there might be parallels in the sense of you know you have to get up to do it you have to go to work um sometimes you don't feel like doing it sometimes you know but i think that that applies to anything really but i don't i don't see i mean you know maybe it's just my lack of imagination but i don't see any direct correlation between acting and say you know running a business or 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 you know um or you know i mean i, I was going to say almost what what you do but then they're going what what you do is actually in a sense 
a similar thing because we're all involved in a kind of we're all involved in the business of show, mm-hmm. you know. So that doesn't really apply. But you know, but I don't know. I, I think I think it's all to do with. I think where the similarity is is in your attitude to the work, in your attitude to what you do. You know, if you if you can come to work with enthusiasm, with with a commitment, with a, a hopefully a, a sense of enjoyment and pleasure, and being happy to be there, then that's half the game, I think. So you're working on the the you're working on Matador. Now. That's right. Yes, I'm playing. I'm, I'm in Matador, and I'm having a wonderful time. It's we're we're just over halfway through our first set of um, episodes for season one and, and it's it's been going really well it, it's very you know it's interesting um it's for a new network um and so there's a kind and it's cable a new new cable network el ray founded by robert rodriguez yes. and uh um, he's nice we've texted back oh, and forth he's before. great he he's great like robert. Good guy. yeah he's fantastic and and he's very inclusive very generous he, he you know he, he genuinely is very interested in what other people think about what's going on. I mean, everybody. I mean, he'll you know he'll take a note from the craft service guy. You know, if, if he thinks it's worth you know, the trouble, and and he's 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 got a and you know he's got this great setup in Austin. You know, he's 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 uh, he actually he actually confided in me that that when he was when he when we were shooting the pilot episode which he directed, he was a bit frustrated because when he makes his movies, he operates the camera, he edits. He writes it. He directs it. He he's in charge. He, he even does the catering, on occasion. <laughs> he's totally hands on. Here, he was just directing. Everything else was being was being looked after by other people, and he was finding it a little bit, you know, because he would play his guitar in between takes. He'd be playing his guitar on the set, and I said to him one day, I said, "I said, do you always do it?" He says, "Oh man, I've got nothing else to do." <laughs> he was cutting really. He was really. Do you need anything? You want me to go on a run? No, you're the director. <laughs> But he's uh, he's fantastic and and very enthusiastic about this material. You know, he's he, he's really committed to to the show. And and uh, there's talk that he might come back to do you know maybe the final episode of the season. So um, you know, he's he's very much our um, our go-to guy. You know, he he he's kind of set the tone. And and that's the exciting part of doing a series for you know, doing the first season. You're finding the tone of the show. You're yeah. you're, you're you're part of that creative. Uh, exploration of it you know so it's, it's really exciting yeah and a lot of times i think that you know obviously because you want things to get picked up that you like you know that's always fun but it's a, it's also the idea of i hope this gets picked up again so that i can come back and apply all of the things i learned the first time around because yeah. it's always there's always such a it's always such a steep learning oh the, oh next time oh, i really want to try this yeah yeah i mean, I mean and, and the nice thing about this particular uh group of people is that those conversations are already happening you know, the, 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 you know, people are we're, we're discussing about where we think it could go in terms of storylines, in terms of how we develop the characters and so on. You know, and that's the great advantage of cable. Just people don't know what is what's the story of Matador. Well, it's got first of all, it's got absolutely nothing to do with bullfighting. What? Just in case. So um, Ben the Bull is not in it. Ben the Bull is not in it. No, or he William was, the Bull. He was far too busy. Uh, th- th- so basically, it's it, it centers around uh, a young up-and-coming soccer star who uh, plays for an L.A. franchise, the L.A. Riot. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, Jesus. It, that's what it's called. <laughs> and, uh, but he's not... We had one of those. He's not just a football player. He's also, he also works... He's an agent for an undercover um, department of the CIA. Nice. And he, they are... And he's been kind of placed there to, to get intel on... 
a guy who happens to be the owner of the team, that's me, who is also the front man for a group of, a small group of very powerful, very influential, very rich individuals who are using their influence and their money and their contacts to manipulate events and world governments and events around the world for their own nefarious profit. You've just made soccer (laughs) exciting to me. Well, there you go. You've just... My work here here is done. Are you watching the World Cup? Are you working? I am, I am. Who are you? Well, Italian mother... Right. Spanish father, mm-hmm. born and raised in England, mm-hmm. now an American citizen. Mm-hmm. I had to watch all my options slowly fall away. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this one. Damn it. <laughs> or maybe this. No. God, you had so many chances. <laughs> you, you, you bought like five lottery tickets. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but no, but I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know what the score of the USA-Belgium game was today. So, Do you know what know. it is, Katie? It was 2-1. Yeah. They, all, all, they lost in overtime. USA lost? Yeah. So are we out of it now? Uh, yeah. Oh, man. We're out of it. Yeah. Oh, that explains why no one on the street seems to be concerned at all. <laughs> Traffic's just moving I get, I get into, I get, I get into arguments with American friends of mine because I always say, why, why is American football called football when they never use their feet? Yeah, they kick the They kick the ball once yeah. or twice, maybe. They should call it throw ball. They should call it throw ball. And give us, give us back... Give us back. Give us the word football back. Well, I noticed you said soccer, so you've either been in this country a long time. I've been or, corrupted. Or I've been, been corrupted. We, do you see what we've done to you? You see, America's ruined me. It's completely <laughs> ruined you. You probably say like bathroom. Yeah, I do. I say and I say tomato. Mm-hmm. Damn it. And I say. Well, see, go, no, I, I say tomato. Do you? Yeah. That's because you're pretentious. Well, let's, <laughs> let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> but I go, I go, I go back, I go back to the UK now, and I'll say, you know, oh, oh when, you know, I really fancy going to see a soccer game, and, everyone, and all my English friends kind of go, no, oh, soccer, get you, because <laughs> they. What it's called? Do you do you find that when you go back home, you purposely? Uh, here's why I'm asking. I'm from the South. I'm from Ten. I was born in Kentucky. I grew up in Tennessee. When I go home. I sort of automatically sometimes start talking a little bit more like, y'all want to... Like, I don't have an extreme draw, but I definitely feel myself being pulled into it more to oh, be yeah. like, yeah. hey, I'm still... Yeah, yeah, when you, yeah. When oh, you go, yeah. When you oh, go yeah. home, do you... Yeah. I mean, I don't think my accent has changed that much, although my daughter, who still lives in London, she she says sometimes you sound... She says to me, you know, Dad, sometimes you sound very American. And I, don't think, I, think it, I think it's because of certain pronunciations. Go to your room. How dare you talk to me like that? <laughs> There are certain pronunciations, certain st- sentence structures that I'll use. I mean, I, I, like my T's have gotten very soft. And I use the word gotten, mm-hmm. you know, which is very American. And uh, my T's and my D's are, are, are softer. So, I, you know, instead of what was once dirty or city is now dirty. Right. City, you know, and she hears that. And she kind of goes, oh, Dad, you sound really American. But when I go back to the UK, I, I, there is – it's not – too obvious i hope but there is i i'm conscious i'm same same thing as with you i'm conscious of just leaning on it just a tad as if somehow the subtext is uh, i haven't really changed (laughs) i'm still i'm still the same person just don't push too hard hey you bastards what has happened to you what's happened to you they just get real like python whoa my I forgot. I forgot what it was like to be British. Uh, this is it? True. I just go really high. I just. Go but really I've high. noticed that a lot of Brits who live here, a lot of my British friends who live here, we we do become in certain areas. We do become more British than we ever were in Britain. <laughs> just I to mean, make up. It's like it's like I find my whole attitude to making tea 
is has now reached the level where it's here, where it's almost a fetish. Whereas in England, I didn't give a shit. You know, I'll oh, stick the tea bag in the cup and pour the hot water, and that that's it. Well, what is it now? now? Well, now process? it's like oh, no, warm the pot. You know, the tea must go in before the milk. You know, it's all kind of becomes a big sort of uh, becomes a big kind of mishegast now. You know, and that's just. A, but I think I think subconsciously it's just a way of sort of hanging on to something yeah not 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 wanting to quite because you because for the first the first year that i was living here i went totally native i spent a whole year in shorts and Mm flip-flops didn't wear anything else fanny pack yeah almost yeah i I, I was at the last vestige of the fanny pack that could also be construed as german <laughs> it would only with Birkenstocks. Okay, good. Okay, but, with socks uh, on. <laughs> but I, you know, I and because everywhere I went, dressed in shorts and flip flops, it was totally acceptable. Mm-hmm. It's not like anyone said, "I'm sorry, sir, there's a dress code." Yeah, you know, it was all fine. And so I, I thought, I, th- I thought, and the weather, you know, I thought, I've been, I've spent a whole year not in the same shorts. I hasten to. Oh, wear. good. Okay, good. But you know, just wearing like really kind of like I've just walked up, just walked off the beach. Yeah, and. Uh, I, and I, and I, I loved it, you know. I kind of, and I was drinking iced tea by the gallon, you know. Never had iced tea before in my life, I, and I couldn't understand why I kept wanting to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to. Your, your, your tea drinkers don't guzzle their tea. No, I was, and and, the, and this whole thing of like, you know, free refills. You mm-hmm. can imagine. I was like, I, I was kept thinking. I love this country. Look at this, you know, some free refills of everything. Or ice? Do they not put ice and stuff automatically? No, we're, no we, we're the Brits. We're very, uh, we're very ambiguous about ice. You know, it's ice is like it's a bit of a cheat. It's like if you put ice in a glass, it means you're not getting the full, mm, the full it's, it's portion. Being diluted. Yeah. So we're a bit, we're a bit. Uh, I mean, there was a time when I was growing up in London where you go into a pub and you ask for a drink with ice, and they all looked at you as if you just crawled out from under a stone. Get us on the rocks. What? <laughs> Get the fuck out. You stupid. Get the... They just literally just drag you out. And then four soccer hooligans kick the shit out of yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. Don't you call it soccer. <laughs> Football hooligans kick the shit out of you. You just made the beating worse. Soccer hooligans. What? And then yeah. they just hit you. Well, now you're asking oh, for what? it. You really just want to be that shit kick. Bite your face off. <laughs> That's fucking fun. I love England. I think I might be going back there in August. I might go do some stand-up shows there. Oh, fantastic. I love it. I really, really, really love it. It's so not. I don't know. I just, I feel really connected to England in a weird way. Oh, my great. My dad's side of the family is some kind of English mutt yeah. family. Now that's, that's, that's an interesting uh, cultural phenomenon, that, that American comedy and by definition american comedians have always gone down very very well in britain but uh, for a long long time british comedy and british comedians didn't transfer didn't translate well and i think it was the pythons that kind of broke that mm-hmm. they kind of broke that glass wall if you like um because they a lot of their humor was so physical mm-hmm. and kind of just silly and it was and it you know it was kind of but, you know but since then you know TV shows, comedy shows have done well here, but there was for a long, long time. I remember there was there used to be a when I was a kid. There used to be a variety show on in English TV called Sunday Night at the London Palladium, and the top of the bill every week was either a really famous American singer or a famous American comedian. And I remember seeing people like you know Red Skelton doing a 20-minute routine and going down gangbusters. People loved it. You know, I, I, even, I can still remember one of his jokes. 
he said, he said, ladies and gentlemen, so great to be here. So great to be here in this historical building and on this stage where Henry VIII once said, forget the divorce, I got a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> but those guys, like those kind of like vaudeville guys, they could like they, they were performing for essentially like what was and I don't mean this in an insulting way, but like the lowest common denominator. So they were they were doing the most human stuff. Yeah. And yeah. not trying to you know, as you start going up the ladder of comedy, it's like, how much more academic can I get with my yeah, comedy? And yeah. I and I think that uh um even though we even though we speak similar languages, the cultural subtext of our languages could, are so different okay, yeah. that it and also you know frames of references yeah. and things that i think um, well so much of british comedy is based on class it's based on that kind of one it's based on that kind of which is comedically a very rich vein which is that sort of typically british passive aggressiveness uh-huh. which you know we've we've turned in we've honed it down into a fine art yeah and it, and it infuses all our creative work i mean plays movies comedy music it's all, you know, it's all subtly in there, and it's a rich vein of material. And, but that's, that isn't quite where American hot humor is. American humor is a lot more specific in terms of, you know, you, you, you identify the target and you just hit it, you know, and, and, and you hit it for all it's worth, and you hit it for as long as it stands up until it collapses. And the joy is that recognition, whereas British humor has this extraordinary way of, like, Beating around the bush, you know, and kind of like going, <laughs> going around the houses a little bit before you kind of hit the, hit it on the head, and letting the tent, letting the tension build. That yeah, way. yeah, it's a, it's a different. It's it, it's a. I mean, they both are just as valid as the as the other, but there there is a there are cultural differences that 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 comedians and comedy writers you know exploit mercilessly, which I think is great. But we also get the added benefit of being delighted by uh, British accents, which also adds to the comedy for us as well. Um, I was I started watch I was watch, I watched um, the thick in the thick of it the Peter Capaldi oh, show because yeah, he's yeah, about yeah. to take over Doctor Who which is a show that I love oh, I didn't know that yes he's, he's becoming the new Doctor he's wow the, fantastic and one of the first things he says in this series is he's talking to somebody he says something like uh, that that's going to go over to like a marzipan dildo <laughs> and and it's just the way it's this aggressive Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> but if someone here said marzipan dildo, people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like the idea that he's even referencing marzipan, I don't know, it's just so funny. But yeah. we sometimes we need the accent to, you know, to like yeah. to activate the joke. Well, it's true. And, and also you, you can get away with so much. I mean, I, I, I did a talk show a few years ago and I knew I was going to be on it. So I, I think I think I told you this story the other day. I, I, uh, I checked out the show, you know, for a couple of nights before I went on it, just to see what the, you know, what the style was, what the tone was. And there was an American, a rather well-known American actor there, you know, he's kind of plugging his new movie. And he was telling a story about something, but very funny, and he used the word asshole. Mm-hmm. And, but when he told the story, the word asshole got bleeped. And I thought, oh, okay, so they're, you know, they're a bit careful about that. I went on two nights later, and I think I used the word Arsehole, and it didn't get bleeped. Did you say arsehole? Yeah, arsehole. I said it with you know with, with I, your accent. Yeah, that's just one of those cute British colloquialisms. I know. It's like suddenly you know, arsehole is fine. Asshole. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, there's lots of there's lots of things like you, to us, you're automatically more charming. Like you get ten more charming points 
just because everything just sounds like yeah, it and be. don't think for a minute that Brits don't exploit that absolutely. <laughs> you up to should. The you should because that's, that's part. That's see, that's part of the passive aggressiveness. I don't think you, we you know, get that. You, there's, uh, uh, I heard a wonderful story about some American actors who were filming in a country house in in England, and the uh, the lord and lady of the house had cordoned off certain parts of the building where they didn't want the crew and the actors to to go in, and two of the actors were trying to find somewhere just to lie down because they were exhausted, and they just went into this room that had a cordon around. Well, you know. No one will know. So they, they sneaked in and they fell asleep on these sofas. And after about an hour, uh, they suddenly hear <coughs> this kind of coughing. And one of them opens his eyes and it's the lady of the house who says, it would be so lovely if you weren't here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't mean you have to leave. Oh, it does. <laughs> That's a, I mean, that, that to me, that's like a perfect example of that kind of, uh, that British... And it almost, it almost could end with dear. Yeah, almost, yeah. It, it was the use of the word, it would be so lovely. That's, that's what, because <laughs> you, you're lulled into, yes, I'll do it, yeah, what would be so lovely? Oh, I see. That would be lovely. <laughs> yeah, no, here we should be like, get the fuck out, what are you doing? Exactly. exactly. You're not supposed to be here. Exactly. Get out. Didn't you see the sign, yeah. asshole? <laughs> It'd be real, or or if we said it that way, it'd be really, it'd be really lovely if you were not here at the moment. Yeah, I know we're uh, we're a little direct. Yeah, it's oh not, yeah, it's not yeah. hard to spot an American. In but that's London. what's exciting about America. That's what's exciting about about American art, American movies, American music. There's, it's that it's that direct link between what you think and what you mean and what you say. There's a, it's it's exciting. It makes. It makes that's why I think American or English as it's spoken in America, why it's so much, it's such a much more muscular version of the language, because mm-hmm. it's got this kind of toughness. It's got this, it's chewy. I, don't, I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything. It's just, it's just got a, it's got a toughness to it, and and I think that's why when when Americans curse, it's got a, it's got a drama to it. There's a rhythm. There's a, there's, it's something. It's kind of. I've always, it's it's kind of sexy. I mean, there's there's a there's an energy to it, you know, and uh, I and I think it's. Uh, I mean, there's no it's no accident that for years and years and years, successive generations of British rock stars sang with American accents. Oh yeah, yeah. That that, that you know, that's no that's no accident. Really, I I always thought that, that I could never figure out why. Even the ones that try not to, they end up doing it. It's something about. You know, it's something about the rhythm of that of the, of the way that the way the language is used in that way. That's it's. I wonder if that was conscious. You know, if they were, if they were hearing American rock and being inspired by American rock, oh, and yeah. it was just sort of conscious. Yeah, I mean, you listen to the you listen to any of the any of the early Beatles, even the late Beatles recordings. They 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 all sang with they always sang with American accents. And then the sex. I want to hold your hand. Yep. You know, it's not. I want to hold your hand. She loves you. I mean, yeah. No, none of that. Is <laughs> it? Was it uh, was it with the Peter, the Peter Sellers did that? Was it was it I want money or, or what, what did he say? What did he? What Beatles song did he cover? Oh, Peter Sellers. Yeah. Oh, he did uh, um, uh, Hard Days Night, Hard Day's but, he, Night. but he did it as he, he did it as a send up of Laurence Olivier in, in Richard the Third. Yeah, he was he was sending up Laurence Olivier. It was very funny. Very that was a number one hit. Oh my god! That tells you the state of British rock music at the time. <laughs> but British radio was so like a comic actor. With a number one hit single, doing an impression 
of a classical actor playing Richard III, <laughs> but you know, as it, but reading the lyrics of a Beatles song. That was that was a state of British rock music. I think he really appreciated it because he seemed like a happy, well-adjusted guy. He seemed really. Peter Sellers? <laughs> it's so funny that, that he existed in a time where, you know, he could be completely off his rocker, but no one would really know. Well, because he was, he was some kind of genius. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, uh, that's, and that's something else that we've learned from America, which is that, you know, aberrant behavior, difficult behavior is often forgiven because you know, the work is so brilliant or so spectacular. Right. You know. Although, you know, when Hugh Grant did that thing and he came over and sat on Jay Leno's couch and was like, I'm so terribly sorry. Yeah, I, I and that, yeah but, he, and he was, so uh, but, that, but with that accent, he was instantly forgiven. Yes, of course. And mind you, Jay Leno did do... Jay Leno did him the biggest favor. Oh, yeah. Actually, you know, the first thing he said was, what were you thinking? Got a huge laugh, totally softened the moment. Right. It's not like, you know... It's not like he didn't get the Barbara Walters treatment. Like, you know, so why did you do that? Or, or, or what do you think? What made you? you know, there's none of that. He, he just, he sent him up beautifully right from the get-go. And it was fantastic. It was such a, it was such a, I remember, I mean, when, and then he just said it was, a, I think he said something like it was a, it, it was a moment of madness. And you just felt the whole country kind of going, oh. Oh, who hasn't been there? I mean, maybe not there exactly. <laughs> that was pretty extreme, but who hasn't? It was just up the road from here, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it was just right around the corner from yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. they should put, there should be like a, there should be like a dark walk of fame <laughs> where it's just like all the fucked up things that have happened. <laughs> just these weird black stars. <laughs> all, That'd be brilliant. <laughs> that's, that's what oh. really, that's the tour. That's what we're gonna do, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna phone Mayor Garcetti right now. Please do. He'll take your call. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> um, so when does Matador premiere? Does it Matador premieres July fifteenth? Um, and uh, we're on the El Rey network, which uh, um, is and and if anyone has any trouble finding that, they can go to uh, El Rey network.com mm-hmm. and you can find out wherever wherever it's playing in your region july that's right around the corner arseholes right around the corner arseholes yes I, I like to say, i like to put the r in it i like to say arseholes <laughs> i like to be like uh i like to be like an american who's who's trying really hard to be british because it somehow makes me more interesting <laughs> because i can't achieve that just with my own actions and beliefs uh and well and you've you could, uh, well I, got, I have to say before you said that you were from the south that you were born in Kentucky, did you say? Yeah, I was born in Kentucky. Kentucky and yeah. raised in Tennessee. Yeah. I wouldn't have known. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't have known. Because I don't have that. I do love the accent down there. It's. I, I feel very... Did you make a conscious effort to lose it or to kind of damp it down? Or was it just did it just evolve that way? I think um, we did shuffle around a lot. We did travel a lot when I was a kid. And I did watch a lot of... I was a, I was addicted to comedy, like stand-up and, and comedy. And so I, I was so focused on television and entertainment and comedy that I think I just started because sometimes I'll pronounce something and I'll be like where did that come from I mean right, like that's yeah. nowhere anywhere but I just I think it was just from just from traveling right, a lot so right. I didn't you know I didn't get that drawl that everyone has down there which is real nice they add a lot of syllables to words <laughs> like they like they'll put they'll put a syllable it's in very it. beguiling I must say it's it is very it's, beguiling. it's nice like it's it's really nice but it's also you know I always wanted to be able to hear the different... I can hear some of the different regional British mm. accents, 
the same way that I can hear the American accents, but it's not. Like, I can sort of make out what Welsh sounds like, but yeah. then everything else is just sort of like, I know sort of this, this yeah. British appeal, and then this down here. Like, I know those, but I don't really know what's what yeah. regionally, like, why people... Yeah. I, 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 had a, I had a wonderful moment in the South when I was driving through the South from... I was driving from uh, Miami to L.A., and uh, I, I, we spent two nights um, in New Orleans, and uh, the f- last morning we were there, we, we got up early and we went to a diner, my wife and I, and, and uh, this very, very sweet waitress, you know, she, she, she clocked our accents and sort of, you know, was, you know said, say that again, <laughs> just, just say that again. And I was kind of, you know, and then I, she, said, she asked me if we had any questions on the menu, and I said, yes, what... what, what um, what are grits? <laughs> and she said, uh-uh, honey. What is grits? Nice. And I said, okay, what is grits? And then she just said, grits is grits. That's the most <laughs> philosophical. <laughs> well, I, felt, I, like, I like fell in love with her. I mean, I, she was like, well, you guys, you guys sounded like you had this amazing accent orgy. Of she did, was yeah. loving your accents yeah. and you were fascinated in Texas, by her. In, in Texas, we had this, uh, we got stopped by, by a policeman, highway patrolman, who uh, had the most wonderful, real kind of, it, 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 it's, he was like out of central casting. I mean, he couldn't have been more typical. I mean, and, and huge guy. Took ages to get out of his car, and then finally came up to my car, and 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 the first thing he said was, "I can't. I'm not sure if I'm doing the accent right, but it was kind of like, is there some kind of medical emergency going on? <laughs> it would be lovely if you were not here yeah. right now." <laughs> but I loved it. I I don't. I, I, and I I just it got, got me thinking about all those regional accents, and it made me it made me think next time. Next time I get cast as an American character, I've got to find out specifically where he's from because the, the differences are so huge. Yeah. That there's always a danger that you do a kind of generalized accent, which is going to be very frustrating for an audience, you know. I don't think – I think it only – like if you, were, if you were just playing a, quote, southern guy and you were like, hey, y'all, what y'all doing? Like I don't, I don't think people would go, ah, he's doing this. But unless you were from that area – I think most people just yeah. sort of get. But I've heard I've heard different regional differences in 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 you know the, the blanket definition of southern. Mm-hmm. There's you know I mean you hear things like you know the Carolina accent, sure, very different from Alabama, Georgia. Very, yeah, it's it's all very very you know there, there are very not so subtle differences either. Very you know very clear differences. And there's some there's one accent I don't know where it's from. It might be one of the Carolinas, which every now and again sounds incredibly English. It sounds very close to English. There's a there's a there's a kind of no there's a kind of sort of you know I don't know about that I mean just a certain you know phrase or a certain sound which sounds incredibly British yeah yeah well because a lot of them you know popped over some of them you know That's came right. from like the I don't know if it was Ireland or Scotland I think maybe uh, I think maybe Scotland like the hillbillies yeah. were basically yeah. like Scottish imports and they kind of moved to the mountainy areas of the south you know like the yeah. Appalachians or whatever and That's so right. there are pockets apparently on the eastern seaboard where the accent that and you know anthropologically speaking the accent is as close as you can get now to what would have been spoken in England in the 16th century oh my gosh because the the the, the root of the accent is the way that those the first british settlers spoke 
So when they arrived there in like you know 60, in the 1600s or 1500s, late 1500s, would it be recognisable today, or is it? Well, too- it, it, I think it's they, they kind of did a sort of they kind of did a study of of all the different kind of sound components that go into the language, mm-hmm. and they compared it with what we know about how English was spoken in the Elizabethan era and the Jacobean era, and the the similar the, the the connections were enormous. You know, so it's, there's a. I mean, I don't think it sounds exactly like it, it would have done, but it's an interesting uh, leftover from that. You know, if I understand my history correctly, and I learned a lot of history from watching cinema, it's that the British accent dates back to the Roman Empire, where everyone spoke with a British accent. That's right. Everyone. That's right. Yes. It's funny that that that's evolved right. to denote these people of yeah, that's right. Roman that's right. and the noble. <laughs> yes. It's so strange. Good morning, Marcius Lucius. How are you? <laughs> Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. How are you lot? <laughs> but even today, you know, when you think about it, I mean, whenever, whenever, like, the villain is being cast, you can almost guarantee that it will be a British actor. Are Brits offended by that in no, any way? No, you're okay, kidding. Good, good. You're kidding. We, it's like, it's a very, we, we, you know, those of us who have played villains in American movies and are British, we belong... It's the way I see it. Anyway, we, we belong to a very noble tradition. Because it usually just means, like, that's it goes the right, guy. It goes right back to the beginning. I think, I think there is something about the accent, the, the, the otherness of the accent. I mean, there's not so much now, but maybe. But, I mean, there was a time when, you know, you can I mean, you know, name almost any movie from the 40s and 50s and, and where there was an out-and-out bad guy. And the chances are it was a British actor. <laughs> you guys are good. So, England, does it... Does it bother you that you've built your career off playing bad characters? Does it bother me? No, I'm asking you the question the reporter asked oh, yes, you, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm now asking the entire country. No, I it put two kids through college. Good. <laughs> well, it was wonderful talking to you. Oh, a real pleasure. Thank and you. And I, I am, I'm excited to see Matador. And uh, please tell Robert Rodriguez I said hello. I will do. Tell of him course. I said hi. Did he ask about me? <laughs> and uh, thank you for coming to our comic store. And um, hey, I hope to see you. I hope to see you around. Oh, well, I'm, I, I live just up the road. Oh, so, good. You know, I'm a I'll be over. I'll, I'll yeah, swing by. Great. Yeah. great. I'll, get, I'll get some of that. Uh, I'll get some of that that tea that you really are really, really, really serious about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. About. Well, well, I don't share it. Oh no, you can't. <laughs> you can't. Don't even look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even going to tell you where it is. <laughs> Where's the tea? No, fuck off. <laughs> All right, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Oh, thanks. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.